0: to be with all of you this morning. Thankful for those who are serving behind me this morning and leading us in song. and It's good to be worshiping the Lord with you all on this Sunday morning. If you're here this morning um, and, uh, and, and you're hearing my voice as you are here or online, welcome to you. Welcome to those of you who are here in person. Welcome online. If you've got a Bible with you, I invite you this morning to open with me to the book of James. James, we are beginning a new series this morning walking week by week for the, through the summer through the book of James. And so that's where we'll be. If you have a Bible uh, on your phone, that's fantastic. That's wonderful. Please do use that. But even better if you have a physical Bible. Um, because uh, while the phone Bible, very good for all kinds of information and data, not good for focus. And, uh, and the physical Bible, very good for focus. So if you have a physical Bible, great. Phone Bible, also, also good. Um, open up to James chapter 1. We are, uh, like I said, we are a church that uh, is preparing to walk through this summer through the book of James, which is in the New Testament. And I, I want to just be clear about a couple of things. We, as a church, it's our desire, week in and week out, to be together in God's Word, to understand God's Word more clearly, to be shaped by God's Word so that we might be God's people in God's world. And that's what we're doing together when we're going to go through the book of James. And James is a book that is really about um, how faith makes a practical difference in your life. I have wanted to teach through the book of James for the last year. I've been very excited about it since about a year ago, praying through it, reading it regularly. James, if you're interested in reading it, will only take you about 10 minutes to read. So you can find, I, I, I invite you sometime this week or next week or it's a, to carve out time and sit down and read James one time through. It takes about 10 minutes to read. But James is all about helping Christians who are uh, are trying to figure out how do we actually make our faith practical. You might think about James as a subtitle being a a faith that works. So a faith that isn't just intellectual, a faith that isn't just about uh, uh, going through some motions or believing some propositions. It's actually about a faith that works in the real world and I'll tell you, if, if you are in James with us throughout this summer, if you are reading it, if you are studying it, if you are seeking to apply it, you will, by the Holy Spirit's power, be a different person at the end of it. And, and I'll be honest with you that that's my prayer. My prayer is that we are different because of this book. So before we dive into the book of James, let me give you some things, some notes on James that you might want to be aware of. If you take notes, you're going to want to write some of these things down because they'll help us frame the weeks ahead. First, James is probably the oldest book in the New Testament. It's probably the one that with it's oldest as far as, you know, when, when from its manuscripts are the oldest. James is the oldest. It's written by Jesus' brother, James, and I'm just going to say a quick word about this, which is that um, when, we, when, when Wycliffe originally a long time ago translated James's name to James from his Greek name or from his Hebrew name, um, the translation he made was James, but we now know, the word has always been um, Jacob, but we now know that a better translation is not the name James, but the name Jacob. And so you could hear that, that James's name, you might hear some debate as you read James about James' is not being named James. It's because Jacob, the Greek name for Jesus' brother, we now know is better translated Jacob, and it has nothing to do with King James, who people do talk about that, but it has nothing to do with him. Uh, but the reason that we still call Jesus' brother James instead of Jacob is just because of tradition. Because it would be very strange to go around saying, I was reading the book of Jacob this morning, because no one would know what you're talking about. So Jesus has a brother. His name is Jacob. For the purposes of this sermon series, we're going to call him Jacob and think of that as a traditional nickname he's been given by the church. Though if you want to spend time actually diving into the beauty of his name being Jacob, you could do that. His name is Jacob. We're going to call him James. And James is Jesus' brother. And he is writing to mostly Jewish Christians who are struggling with how to be faithfully Christian in the world. He is highly influenced by his brother's Sermon on the Mount teaching. He is highly influenced by the first uh, nine chapters of Proverbs or what we call the wisdom literature. And James is going to open up his letter in James chapter 1 by setting the stage. And then James 2 through the end will essentially be James applying a bunch of lessons that he has set the stage with in chapter 1. There's about 12 lessons in all. We will work through them each week. Now, James's book was originally, his letter was originally written to Hebrew Christians who were struggling, but it is now written and is available for all of us to learn from. James has in mind not just those he is writing to, but to all Christians. And throughout the book, what you'll discover is James will talk about what it means to have a mature faith or a perfect faith or a complete faith, different translations will say, And really, James has in mind this picture of what it looks like for Christians to be an integrated people. Namely, that what James wants for you and for me and what God wants for you and for me is that we would be a people who would be whole in our faith. We would not be inconsistent. We would not be divided. We'd not be saying one thing and doing another. We wouldn't be hypocrites. But instead, we would be people who who had a faith, we proclaimed a faith, and that we embodied a faith, and we lived out a faith that would be consistent. And so so we want as a church to be whole people. If you're here this morning and you are a guest, welcome. You are welcomed into a worship gathering of imperfect Christians who are often getting it wrong. We get it wrong daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. We even just sang a song, Lord, I need you, every hour i need you every week when we gather together we confess we have not loved god as we should we have not loved our neighbor as our should if you're here this morning and you recognize that your faith doesn't line up with how you live you shouldn't be satisfied by that but you should recognize that that you're a, being a christian you're a part of a community that is struggling together by the power of the spirit to become whole and complete Christians. So there's some tidbits about who wrote it. James, Jesus' brother, whose name is Jacob, but we're going to call him James. It's wisdom literature. It's got 12 lessons. The stage is set in chapter one. It's written to all Christians, but a particular audience received this letter and he really wants to see a faith that is made real in real life. And so that is the setting of the stage of James. So when we're going to get into James this morning, we will read the first 18 verses of James chapter 1. And so if you've got your Bible and you've had plenty of time, I hope to be able to find your way over there. Uh, Would you join me in following along as I read James chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Verse 1. James. A servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation. ...since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business." Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away. ...by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above... ...coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights... ...who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. James chapter one, verses one through 18. Life is hard. And it seems that for many of us, we are inundated with the messages that life could be and should be a lot easier. When I was young growing up, I remember flying in airplanes and reaching for the Sky Mall magazine. Any of you remember the Sky Mall magazine in the airplane? Yeah, some of you? It was a a bunch of different kinds of items that you could purchase. Many, if, if not all of them, were totally unnecessary. And I remember my favorite SkyMall magazine item, an item that we've never purchased, but I still think about occasionally and chuckle. And it was a countertop hot dog cooker. It was a little toaster that had two slots for... Two hot dogs and two buns and then you slid it down and you went away and came back and it popped up and your hot dog would be cooked and perfectly toasted. Two hot dogs would be made. And I loved this invention because I remember thinking that at some point someone thought making a hot dog is far too difficult for other people. But we turn on our television and we discover advertisement after advertisement that seems to say, life is difficult, we're going to make it easier for you. The bookstores online and physical otherwise are filled with books about life is difficult, how do we make it easy for you? And the truth is that being a Christian does not mean that your life all of a sudden becomes easy. Easy. Life is hard. James opens up his book saying greetings to all of you and then goes right into it. He talks about the difficulties and challenges of life. As I stand here this morning, I stand before a group of people who are facing challenges. In this room there are those of us who have had miscarriages those of us who have had emergency trips to the hospital, those of us who are financially unstable and are not entirely sure how we're going to pay off our bills, those of us who are struggling at work, who have recently lost our job or are struggling to find a job. Before me, there are broken marriages, broken families, broken homes, broken friendships and relationships. Before me are fellow travelers and fellow sufferers in the trials of life. And as I talked about just briefly last week, anybody who's trying to sell you a Christian faith that says that if by, by being a Christian, no more will you experience difficulties, they are lying to you. And you should open your Bible and be able to find and show them why they are in error. James is a great place to begin James launches into his audience if speaking to those who are in trials. So let me just say this morning, if, you are, if you've ever gone through a difficult time, or you are going through a difficult time, or you are going to go through a difficult time, James has a word for you this morning. Here's what I'll do in our time together. I want to mention and pull out three truths about trials. And then two applications that James uh, puts into his text. So three truths and two applications. Three truths, two applications for those of you who are taking notes. Here are the truths. I'll give them to you before we dive in. The first is that trials are handed to us. The second, trials are helpful for us. And the third, trials can be handled by us. So again, I'll repeat that as we go, but those are the three points and then we'll move to two applications. So the first, trials are handed to us. James launches into his letter and the first thing he says is, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. He doesn't say that If you face trials of many kinds, he says, when you have trials. I wonder if James is thinking about his brother Jesus who taught in this world, you will have trouble. Trouble with family. Trouble with money. Trouble with loneliness. Trouble with friendships. Trouble with brokenness. There are trials of many kinds in this church and some of you have gone through many trials and all of us have likely trials ahead. Lest we die on the way home today, which was a trial of its own, we are going to have trials of many kinds. We face them and sometimes we see our trials coming. Sometimes we choose our trials. We make a decision to take a difficult class that we know is going to be difficult. We choose to have a sit-down conversation with a friend and we don't think the outcome is going to go well. We pull our spouse aside and we say, we need to talk. We correct a child's behavior and we know that they're going to push back. Sometimes we know, you know, I'm walking into a difficult situation. I know this is going to be hard, but I'm choosing that trial. For others of us, we are, are not others of us, but often other times we we have a trial that is thrust upon us. It comes out of nowhere. We get symptoms and we go to the doctor and we discover we have an illness. Someone calls us and says we need to talk. And it's the beginning of a broken relationship or the revealing of that broken relationship. Sometimes we are mistreated by someone else. Sometimes we think there's an opportunity and that door closes and we didn't see it coming. There are trials that we see coming and trials that we don't see coming, but regardless, you're going to face trials. And when you do, is what he says, when you face trials, here's how to think about it, James will say. Suffering is a part of the Christian life. We talked about this last week. Christian faith is not an escape from trials. Adversity is not escapable. We think sometimes that we are entitled to a pleasurable, happy, easy life. No, trials Come and there are obstacles. And the the sooner you learn and understand that life is hard, the more you'll be able to focus on how do you gain from the challenges that life throws at you. One of the concerns I just have pastorally is, I sometimes worry that that we spend a lot of time trying to make sure that our children and ourselves especially and our family, we don't have any difficulties. We always see difficulty as an obstacle, believing that somehow there is an easy life that sits on the other side of adversity, And if we do that, my worry is that we will become increasingly anxious and stressed out, constantly just trying to get to the easy life, and that we'll live a long life, never easy, and we will become increasingly bitter. We cannot avoid trials at all costs but we can know that any and every trial that we receive in this life is handed to us, that it must pass through God's hands. If our concept of God is that he's just a loving grandfather who just wants to give you an easy life all the time, then you won't expect trials. You won't know what to do with them. For many of us, you we you have some in this room you have in this in this gathering you have become unaware that suffering is a part of your journey to holiness for the christian trials are business as usual of course james thinks this he's seeing it and he saw it in the life of his brother He saw Jesus experience trouble, experience betrayal, experience victimization, experience rejection and abuse. He saw Jesus endure that. He saw all of that in the life of Christ. And it wasn't because Jesus wasn't faithful. In fact, a part of Christ's faithfulness is enduring that on our behalf. So the early Christians looked at Jesus and they said, he struggled, he suffered, we expect to as well. Expect trials in your future. So first, trials are handed to us. Secondly, trials are helpful for us. This is the key of what James wants you to to sort of see about trials, that they are beneficial to you. They're helpful to you. Our world thinks that suffering is not valuable at all. We're so worried about it that we try to design right spaces where people don't have to experience ideas, thoughts, beliefs that are contrary to what they find comfortable. We know we see this, we know that we see regularly now students go off to college and their expectation is not that they're going to go to college to have their ideas challenged, but rather they're going to go to college to be affirmed affirmed in what they already think. And we, if we're not careful, we can begin to live lives that say, I only want to be around people who think like me. I don't want to be exposed to anything that makes me uncomfortable because that's going to be bad for me. Our world thinks anything uncomfortable is bad for us. But here James says, no, trials are helpful, helpful for us. the number one reason that people often reject Christian faith is because they say, I don't know how God can be good and how there can be suffering. And that is not an easy question to answer for anybody. It's also not easy for non-Christians to answer about why suffering is suffering. And I'm not going to answer that here. I just want you to see that a lot of people say, hold on, if God is good, then there shouldn't be any suffering. But James says no suffering for the Christian, for the one who loves God and follows Jesus. Their suffering and trials can be good for us, can be helpful for us. He even begins his letter just like a punch, right? Consider it joy. And I'll just be honest with you, when I'm going through a difficult time, if one of you comes up to me and says, hey, brother Trevor, I know you're going through a difficult time. Hey, have you thought about considering it joy? I would want to punch you in the face. I wouldn't, but I'd want to. It's not an easy message to hear. But why would James say that we should consider trials, difficulty, joy? Why? Well, he says... That that is a response that's based on reality that that, that is operating at a deeper level than the world operates on. Namely, that trials are helpful for us. How are they helpful? Well, first, notice that James says in verse 3, also in verse 12, that trials are a testing of your faith. And by testing, what we mean is a revealing about the genuineness of your faith. That God allows us to experience trials so that we might see the genuineness of our faith. I, I bet you that if you're a Christian, you don't want to have a fake, phony faith. You want to have a real faith, a genuine faith, a pure gold kind of faith. And God says the way that you're going to see that is through trials, Trials are kind of testing of your faith, James says. To reveal your faith. In school, we take tests. Why do we take tests in school? So that we can have our knowledge of what we're supposed to know revealed to us. No one likes tests. Very few students get ready for finals with great joy. When I interact with high school students, as I sometimes get to do, none of them are like, finals are coming, APs are coming, Joyful day. No, they're worried and concerned because they're going to be tested. But those tests reveal what they know, where they're at, what they understand. We understand testing is a good thing because we want our faith to be genuine. We want our faith to be anchored in the right person in Christ. Let's be honest. Many of us will say or or have been tempted at times to say, no, my faith is in Jesus, but if I don't have enough money, then I'm going to be really unhappy. So I need Jesus, that's great, but I also need money. Jesus plus money, happiness, Jesus minus money, I'm very unhappy, which then just means it's really not Jesus your faith is in, it's money. Some of us, I need Jesus and I need good health. I need Jesus and I need a happy marriage. Well, then what happens is when those, when those marriages are strained or our health becomes complicated or severely uh, altered in a way that is, is, is leading towards suffering, death, difficulty, then what ends up happening is we say, oh, well, now I, I, I want Jesus, but I really, I really want him for this other thing. And if you're not careful, not, this isn't just you, this is me too. We can allow other things to take the place of God in our life as the most important. And suffering and trials can reveal what it is that's most important. It helps us discover over and over and over again the beauty of the reality That what God gives us can never be taken away. It helps us focus not just on the temporary, but the eternal. It helps us focus on the creator who knows all things, who's wise. It helps us focus on our salvation. It helps us focus on our forgiveness, on our adoption, on his spirit in us. on 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 the glorious beauties of all that he has given to us. So trials strip us of things that we would otherwise put our faith in so that we can reveal, is my faith and trust in Jesus? Well, I I hope you want a genuine faith. Trials are one of the ways that it's helpful for us. But also, trials produce perseverance. Helpful in perseverance, verse 3. A a genuine faith, right? The testing of your faith develops a perseverance. Perseverance is a kind of long-lasting strength. I, I hate working out. I, there's no way I'm alone on that. I, can't, I, don't, I don't like working out. And a, a, a few months ago, a friend of mine challenged me to do a push-up challenge. We're going to do push-ups every day. Sounded so great. How many push-ups? Day one, you're just going to do one push-up four times. That's great. Day two, two push-ups four times. It sounds easy. Day 10, 10 push-ups four times. By day 20, day 30, 30 push-ups four times. I'll tell you, I hated it. Hated it. Couldn't stand it. I was sore constantly. Irritated in my soreness. But here's what happened. My muscles grew stronger. Now I've since stopped doing them. And so my muscles have atrophied. And I, I, don't, I feel kind of good about that. <laughs> but at the time, they were stronger. And we know this principle. Stretch a muscle, if you stretch it in the right way again and again, you strengthen it. Well, the same thing is true with trials. The Lord allows us to go through difficult things so we can be strengthened. I imagine none of you want an atrophied, flabby faith. You want a faith that will endure, a faith that will last, a faith that will be strong. Well, trials form Christians that are fit for a lifetime of faith. You meet someone who's been a Christian for a long time, ask them about the trials they've faced in their life and the way that God has used them in their life. And you will often meet Christians who will say, this was difficult, this was difficult, this was hard, but thanks be to God, he has strengthened my faith through the trials. So, so trials are testing revealing, they're a persevering, and they also produce maturity, that's verse 4. They, they, they create mature, complete Christians who aren't lacking anything. I talked about this at the top. James wants us to be mature Christians who have whole integrated Christian faith fitted for destiny. Do you want a mature faith? Do you want a long-lasting faith? Do you want a strong faith? A genuine faith? I hope you do. I hope you are hungry for a faith that is durable and real and strong and Christ-like. And if you're hungry for that, I've got good news for you. God will bring that into your life through trials. Your trials are a God ordained part of the process of of strengthening your faith. Your trials are not your enemies, your trials are your friends. Friends in disguise. I was recently reading about uh, butterflies, and you know we all know the process of a caterpillar that becomes a butterfly. they go through this uh, this process, a chrysalis process it's called, and the 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 caterpillar goes into its cocoon and this transformation happens. Well, during that transformation, the butterfly produces a hormone that causes the butterfly in the cocoon to flap its wings against the outside. And if you go up to a butterfly and if you opened the cocoon early so that the butterfly can fly early, that butterfly will fall to its death and die. That butterfly needs, it must have that, that pressure, that, that testing, that, that butterfly needs that in order to develop the strength to fly into its purpose and meaning. In the same way, brothers and sisters, if, if, if your suffering, your trials, your difficulty are given to you by God to strengthen your faith so that you may soar like eagles as He longs for you to do, both now and forever. When you see that your trials, are gifts in order to strengthen your faith. It it changes everything. So so they're handed to us. That's my first point. Secondly, they're helpful for us. My third point is that they can be handled by us. So in other words, James doesn't say trials happen. They're good for you. That's it. No, he, he tells us what to do. He says that we ought to do two things. The first thing we can do, and you should do, if you are in a trial, is pray. That, that's what James says, right? That context of that text, which it, 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 in James chapter 1, um, start picking up at verse, uh, at verse 5. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, and by wisdom here, uh, the word means understanding. If you lack understanding as it relates to what? The trial you're going through. If you're struggling to understand, God, how are you going to use this? Lord, how can this be for your glory? Or, I don't understand. If you lack an understanding, you ought to ask God, James says. You ought to pray. Is that what you do when you go through trials? Most of you don't. Most of you, and, and Matt, when we go through trials, we look for escape routes. We go buy some stuff. We go look for ways to make our life easier. We run to Amazon. We drink alcohol. We get afraid. We get afraid and we get angry and we get depressed that that we, we run from God as opposed to running to God. A- ask yourself right now, wh- where do you go when you're experiencing difficulties? James says we go to God. That's what we have to do. We have to pray for wisdom. We ask God for it. But when we ask God for it, we, we, God generously gives it to us without finding fault. So we turn to God, God, why do you let this happen? God doesn't say, who are you that you're asking me? You don't get to ask me a question like that. No, God doesn't, he doesn't put our fault in our face. Rather, God gives us the wisdom we need. But we cannot come to God with a divided loyalty. That's that section about Doubt. James says that when we come to God and we are seeking from God knowledge, understanding, wisdom about what we're going through, which is not an intellectual wrestling, the, uh, the doubt, the, the section on doubt. James says when you go to God, you, you, you have to ask for wisdom, but ask without doubt. He's not talking about an intellectual wrestling. He, he's saying you need to go to God as someone who says, Lord, I trust you, but I don't understand. You cannot go to God as someone who says, Lord, I'm not sure if I trust you. I'm not sure if I understand. And I have no interest in understanding, but I'm just going to pray this prayer because, well, if you give me the answer I like, then I'll believe you. No, instead, you need to be loyal and not divided, James says. We can't ask as a divided person. We must ask as someone who desires understanding and wisdom. So let me invite you this morning. If you are going through a trial or a difficulty, bring that to the Lord. Bring it to the Lord. Bring it to him. Ask him for understanding. Ask him for wisdom. Lord, help me to see how you want to use this for me and for your glory. So that's one thing we can do is pray. And the second thing we do is think. We change our thinking. That's how James begins in verse 2. Consider it, he says. Consider it. The word consider means to change our thinking. Consider. Direct your thinking. Consider the thing you're going through. Consider it joy. Change your thinking about it. Not just Feel joyful, that's hard to do, but make a mental adjustment because you know that the way that you think about something changes how you respond to it. I don't know about you, but I talk to myself a lot. And when I am going through a difficult time, I will often listen to myself. I'm feeling this, I'm feeling that, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with that, I'm having a hard time over here, I don't understand that. Lord, help me understand, give me wisdom. Lord, I desire wisdom, help me to trust you, I do trust you, right? I'll do that, but I'll also talk to myself, and I will say things to myself like this. I'll say, I'll say, I don't know what to do, I'm not sure what to do, I'm not sure what the right decision is here, but here's what I know. I know Christ died for me. I know Christ loves me. I know Christ will not abandon me. I know Christ will use this for me. And sometimes I'll repeat that to myself. I know God loves me. I know he has chosen me. I know he has saved me. I know he lives in me. I know he won't leave me. I know he will use this for me. And as I do that, it shapes my ability to be able to handle the difficulty in front of me. Some of you listen to yourself a lot. That's good. I would encourage you to talk to yourself and to think differently and to remind yourself of those truths. I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking, by the way. I'm talking about engaging in spiritual reality through clear thinking about our circumstances and the character of God. So what do we do when we face trials? Trials can be handled by us. We pray and we think. All right. So now we'll press down into just two applications that James has of trials. The first one deals with money. Have any of you ever struggled with money before? Any of you ever worried about money? Wanted more money? Looked for ways to get more money? James writes to people who know that money is a challenge. And in verses 9 through 12, he recognizes money is a source of trials. He talks about the poor Christian in verses 9 through 12. And the poor Christian is likely to think to themselves, I don't have money, therefore I don't don't have high status. Maybe you've thought that. I don't have money, and if I have money, then I'd be a lot better than I am right now. And so what does James say? He says that they need to think differently and put their pride not in money, but instead to put money in the privileges that they have in Christ. That's, this is the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. The believers in humble circumstances, verse 9, this is talking about poor Christians, they ought to take pride in their high position. Well, what is their high position? It is the position that God has brought them to by calling them to himself. You may not have a lot of money, but you are rich beyond measure because you have Christ. I'd rather have Christ and no money than money and no Christ. So the poor Christian is in danger of becoming cynical and envious and thinking money is the answer. No, no, no. Think differently. If you have Christ, you're a child of the king. Rich beyond wildest measure. Grace has exalted you to a high place. But it's easy to think money is just a trial for the poor. Then James says, no, 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 money is also a trial for the rich. He contrasts the poor Christian to the rich Christian. Where in which James then says that, that the rich, in verse 10, should take pride in their humiliation. What does that mean? Take pride in Humiliation? Well, while the poor is likely to think, if I just have money, then I'll be rich, then I'll, then I'll truly have what matters, the rich person is likely to become complacent. The rich person is likely to think to themselves, hey, I've got money, therefore I've got everything I need. And James says, no, 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 you're in trouble if you think because I have money, I have all I need. First Timothy says, command those who are rich in this present age not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides everything for us. So what does the rich person need to do? They need to humble themselves, reminding themselves of their spiritual poverty and the ways in which God has reached out to them in desperation and saved them, not because they had money, not because they are great in the world's eyes, but they came to Christ empty-handed and received from into their empty hands Christ their Savior. Riches fade. Money Fades. The rich must not boast in riches, but they must see their riches as temporary. So the rich have a money problem, the poor have a money problem. Both of these are a, tri- a trial, and the goal is right thinking to think about the privileges of their salvation and what God has done. And then he says, James says in verse 12, right? He says in verse 12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So the first trial, the first application is it should change the way you think about money. But it also should change the way you think about, secondly, temptation. So the first application was money. The second is trials and temptation. Verses 13 through 18, now James turns and talks about temptation. I imagine some of you struggle with money or have. I imagine others of you have struggled with temptation. And James says, when trials come... They always present temptation. So we get a trial, and that trial can then create out of our own desires a temptation. And James says when we experience the temptations in our lives, and I imagine you experience temptation in your life, we can can begin to look at God and to go, God, are are you rooting for me to fail? Sometimes it feels like that. We have a trial. We have a temptation. We think, God is God saying, hey, I'm going to give you this trial because God wants us to fail? Absolutely not, James says. Absolutely not. The character of God is that God does not lead us to temptation. God, no one should say in verse 13 that God is tempting me. God cannot be tempted by evil nor does he tempt anyone. Why am I tempted then? James says, because we have these desires within us. And if we follow our desires, they will lead to, they give birth, they can give birth to sin, not our good desires, but our sinful desires will lead to sin and sin leads to death. The only thing we can't do is blame God. God, it is our responsibility when we face temptation to turn to God and not away from God towards the path of disobedience and disloyalty. If we abandon God, it is not God's fault. Our sin is on us. James says the temptation to go wrong is in us. God is holy, and the author of everything good cannot be the author of evil. So God is rooting for you. He put his spirit for you. He put his spirit in you. But I want you to understand, brothers and sisters, God is not rooting for your failure. When trials come, God wants you to move forward in the direction of strength and maturity and trust and joy and not to fall back into sin and death. You're going to face trials. You are facing trials. You have faced trials. Is Christ still worth it? That's the question. Well, I know from being a pastor for a while now and meeting with a lot of you, that the answer to that question is a resounding yes. When difficulties happen, Christ is still worth it. When we're struggling financially, Christ is still worth it. When our health goes sour, Christ is still worth it. When we're experiencing brokenness, Christ is still worth it. He has not left you. He will not abandon you. He still loves you. You are still forgiven. He still draws you to himself. And he wants to strengthen you and promises to use your difficulty ultimately for your good. I want to close by pointing out to those of you who are here this morning that there are two kinds of births that you might see in the text. There's a birth that leads to death, and then a birth through the word of God that leads to truth, the first fruits of life, James 1.18. Some of you are here this morning, and trial and temptation and sin and death is all you know. It's all you know. You give in to your temptations all the time. You follow the pathway of destructiveness. Your life is filled with difficulty, and there is no hope. There is no forgiveness, and you are marching slowly towards your demise. Well, James makes clear there is a kind of way that leads to death, but there's another kind of way that leads to life. It is through the word and through trust in Jesus. This morning... I want you to know if you have never trusted Jesus, if you've never repented and turned of your sins, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, if you've never done that, you're you're heading towards a life of sin, separation, and death. But God, out of love for you, sent Christ to the cross so that whoever would believe in him would not Perish, but would have life with God both now and forever, a life that can never be taken away from us, a life that is strengthened through trials with Christ's presence in us. And that life is available to you. So if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus, and you've never received him, and you read a text like this, and all your life is, is you can't consider it joy because you don't know that God can use it, because you don't know God, because you're not in good relationship with God. Make this the morning that you choose to get right with God, not by your work or your effort, but by putting your trust in Jesus who longs to fill you with his spirit, to forgive you, to make you new, and give you life forever. Amen? Let us pray. Lord, we covered a lot this morning in James chapter 1. Lord, a lot of James 1 is about our trials. And I stand here this morning humbled by the truth that that there are named trials in this gathering, and there are so many secret trials unnamed struggles that we, we do not know about, but you know about, Lord. And Lord, we ask that you would use the difficulties that we are currently going through and will go through and have gone through, that you would use them to, to strengthen our faith, to bring about maturity, that you would use them to reveal the genuineness of our faith. Lord, we don't want to have a flabby, flimsy, fake faith We want to have a real faith, a genuine faith, a strong faith in you. You are the author and perfecter of our faith, and you use trials in our lives to make us stronger. And Lord, that is a hard thing to receive. So this morning, we pray that you would give us understanding. We pray that you would draw us into a strong understanding of who you are, that our trust would be wholly and completely in you as we face trials. And God, we ask that you would help us to consider them joy, to think about them, as opportunities to be strengthened by your hands. Lord, I pray that we would not put our hope in money. We would not worry too much about money, but we would put our trust in you. No one can serve two masters. Lord, we want to serve you as our number one master. You are our master. And Lord, we pray that when we are tempted, we would turn to you for help, knowing that you are not rooting for us to fail. You are not rooting for us to fail. You are rooting for us to victory, and you have given us your spirit so that we might walk with you towards the light, towards the truth, towards the life that is truly life. Jesus, open our eyes. Help us to love James chapter 1. Help us to be different because of it. Prepare us for the journey of this book together shape us, make us people who have a faith that really works, really works, make a real difference in our lives through this book. It's in your name we pray. Amen.